All right. So you are back from Le Vacay. You look... Yes. You should look human and refreshed. This is always a good thing. I feel like both of those things, both human and refreshed. It was this a very nice vacation. I'm glad to hear. Um, man, it's, it's funny. You think summer is going to be quiet, and it's just not <laughs> this year for some reason. <laughs> I think yeah. part of it's because I'm away. I leave in 12 days for a world youth thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. at the time of recording so things are getting packed in before then also because like we're just working so hard on this whole like organization of our parish around charism stuff which is going mm-hmm. like swimmingly well like just insanely yeah. well. like you, you almost feel guilty it's going too well in the organization <laughs> stage like everyone's well, on the same yeah. page everyone's like yes this like i finished our organization chart and not everyone agreed with like 95 percent of things it was more like oh we need to put some we need to emphasize this or maybe just make this a bit more clear it was not anything massively structural everyone's like no this uh, makes uh, perfect uh. sense i'm like huh okay wow this is weird um but um just a couple small fun tales from sundays was uh so two weeks ago now was canada day which to be fair i kind of could care less about <laughs> um, <laughs> good because I'm like, what's, I don't know what there is to celebrate in Canada about Canada, honestly, truly. Because I, I don't, I still don't know what it means to actually be a Canadian, and and this mm-hmm. may offend the Canadian listeners, but um, we we actually do not have a culture. <laughs> if anything, our culture is is America light, uh, balanced by we are not American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, with a smidgen the of a lot of a smidgen with a ton of multiculturalism because and and just vast geography so it does like it make we can be we can stand out uniquely but we are if you were to ask what are the principles and values of of, of canadians i think most people it's like tim hortons and hockey and ice skating or something like that and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah no that's not that's not it that's not culture <laughs> um anyways well, so I, but it was I consider every day we record every day we record is Canada Day for for me. So Aww. happy Canada Day. <laughs> what if Canada oh, Day was the friends we made along the way? Um, mm, beautiful. The real Canada Day that is. Uh, so anyway, it's a long weekend. So I just I, we hadn't done anything with our young adult group for a while. So I just decided to host a barbecue and nice and uh, at the rectory and it was like the perfect Sunday. Nice, because all I had was mass that day in terms mm-hmm. of like actual appointments. And um, some people helped out with the barbecuing and everything, or sorry, the grilling for people in like Nashville or whatever who get really offended at us calling it a barbecue, but it's a barbecue. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it was like, I'm like, ah, this is, this is the leisure of which people speaks of here. This is, this, it was, <laughs> this is it. It started at 1230 and the last group mm-hmm. of people left at 1130 PM. Wow. So it went for 11 hours dig. pretty much. And we mm-hmm. had like lunch and dinner and there's enough meat. You know, parishioners were very generous. I, <laughs> I asked people to pick some stuff up for me and they're like, no, no, we'll pay for it. I'm like, no, no, I want to pay for it. No, no, it's okay. We'll pay for it. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And it was just like, you know, it's what you would want a Sunday to be. You're just sitting around, maybe having a beer, just sitting on the porch or whatever or inside and just having conversations about life and, mm-hmm. uh, and everything. We had 32 people show up, which was great. That's a, mm-hmm. I was not expecting that many initially when I put out the invite and, um, and a lot of, and even some young adults who are maybe going to different churches who may be somewhat open to this whole Catholic thing, which is great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just, yeah, yeah. it was just the perfect Sunday. Like, I don't even know That's how else nice. to put it. It, it was just, nice it was really, like in the parish. it was just really mm-hmm. joyful, you know, just and you want to do it again. Yep. Just good yeah. human interaction. And, mm-hmm. um, it also showed me, it's like, yeah, we've built real friendship here. You know, things are never perfect with every group, but it was like, it was sure. just really nice. You know, it was just a good, good Sunday. And then this past Sunday, I mean, it was a long, that was a longer one for me this past Sunday. Oh, and then, um, congratulations. So on Saturday I was in Victoria for, um, I was the MC for the diaconal ordination of Joseph Hewson, who is one of who is our Yay. only seminarian at the moment. Um, so transitional diaconate ordained to traditional transitional diaconate on on Saturday. So that was great, and mm-hmm. I was the MC for that. So it took me usually it's supposed to take like an hour and a half to drive back from Victoria to Nanaimo. It took me three hours. Okay. The traffic was that oh, no. bad, and I Ooh. I was late for confessions because of it. Um, not it, it, the more I go back to Victoria, the more I mi- I miss it less. <laughs> and i'm just happy to stay where i am for the rest of my life Mm-mm-mm. um that's good yeah um but uh, then sunday uh you know mass stuff on our mission at our mission church and everything and had dinner with the prisoner there and then um 
But what was insane with Mass here was, so right now we only have one extraordinary minister. And, and actually our communion line on Sunday has gotten so long that I actually will be having more on Sunday starting in September after summer That's break, a good sign. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had so many visitors on Sunday though. Like I, I was like, the communion line just didn't stop. It went for over, it went for about 20 minutes. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a long communion. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, you know, we're usually somewhere between eight to 15 minutes, depending on a Sunday, you know, um, sure. which is still kind of longish for on the higher end. It's still, that's kind of like, okay, it's time uh, on the yeah. higher end, but it went for 20 minutes. Like we had probably 800 hosts in the two suboriums and mm-hmm. we were, we only had like about a hundred left at the end. I would say your church must have, it must have looked packed. It was packed. It was, yeah. and the balcony was packed. I mean, a lot of visiting families, um, <laughs> including a, actually a guy I went to this, our young priest course way back in the day with, he's a Ukrainian Catholic priest and he was there with his family. So they <laughs> came to my line because he said, he said to me afterwards, we don't mind, we, we, we jumped lines, but most EMHCs don't understand uh that when I say my kids are Ukrainian Catholic because their three year old can receive communion. Right. I'm like, he's like, because I, I didn't, I, he looks familiar. I'm like, where were Ukrainian Catholic? I'm like, okay, three year old, body of Christ, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> which is always awesome. And it's like, it's, it's very cool. Again, I think, I think the Ukrainians, the Easterns have it right here, honestly. Oh, that's, absolutely. That's the other thing. This is not, uh, but it was just, it was just Give like, it baby's was, communion. Yes, exactly. But it was just a nice Sunday. Like, it was just like, it was so nice to see the church packed and all the visitors just like, wow, you guys have beautiful liturgy. Like, uh, I even had one person who was visiting for a week, few weeks. She said she loved it here so much that she's actively looking to move here from that's from the east amazing. coast of Canada. From the east coast of Canada, wow. she has family here and stuff. That's part of it. But sure, the parish she said helped her see that maybe this is a place she could live. Yeah, which is like Felt huge. Like home. Yeah, yeah I'm like, that's a Whoa. that's a really that's, nice compliment. You're like if, if I, for anything else, at least I'm doing something right as a pastor. Someone feels that way. Absolutely. Right? So it yeah. was just yeah, it was just I don't know. Summer Sundays of unexpected surprises is kind of what I wanted to share of what's up in my life right now. There's more, there's a lot more going on, but that's, that's kind of it. So I've, I've got a lot going on, but I'm not going to talk about any of that. I'm going to talk about something even more important than my vacation, even more important than the stuff going on in the parish, even Mm -hmm. more important than my spiritual life. I want to talk about this new video game. Okay. Well, before you do that, I need to welcome people to clerically (laughs) speaking. I'm Father Harrison. Oh, do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm Father Father. Anthony. There you go. All right. Now, now, now you are free to speak. Okay. I'm, I'm going to talk about a video game, but this is this is amazing. It's okay. amazing. So don't tune out. Don't don't go forward. This is amazing. It's called Kingdom Come Deliverance. Okay, it came out like 2018, and uh, I saw a review pitched as a more like a um, Oblivion type game, Elder Scrolls game, but doesn't hold your hand as much. I'm like, okay, okay that's right up my it's alley. Like truly it's, open world. It's not. It's open world, but the thing is, it doesn't like. Um, you have to like find stuff on your own. It, like you can screw up very easily. If you die, you die. It's kind of stuff yeah. like that. Not as intense as some of the um, other games, but anyway. So it's set in historical, um, like Eastern Europe, Holy Roman Empire. Ooh. And so you are a medieval blacksmith's son who stuff happens, and you're working on becoming a knight and driving out enemies and stuff like that. But it's incredibly historically fun. So. It's medieval Europe, so when characters greet you, they say stuff like, Jesus Christ be praised. And I'm like, yay, that's nice. And there's um, like churches everywhere that are full. There are churches everywhere. They're not full, but there's no pews in the churches. And they're actually, like, the game decorates them well with, like, images. uh, Because this is more Eastern Europe, so there's a little bit more iconography Because there wouldn't have been pews in the Middle Ages. No, 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 no. And there's little things, but every place is a nice church. And, um... You, um, like, for example, you have a brawl in the pub with a guy who is complaining about who's going to be the king of the Holy Roman Empire. And and they say stuff like, don't get him started on the popes because this is during the Avignon papacy. So, like, (laughs) they're talking about, like, politics. Like, don't even start talking about the popes. So, Um, it's a very historically accurate game, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And it's, it's... um, it neither sugarcoats um, nor vilifies the church. I think it's very even-handed. Mm-hmm. For example, I have to investigate a murder. The only person who knows about the murderer is a priest. And the priest can't break his seal of confession. He refuses to do so. But this medieval priest in this small town also lives with a concubine and gets drunk every night. <laughs> so it's like this balance of like... Which is stuff that happened. Stuff that happened, you know? Yeah. Um, I had to infiltrate a Benedictine monastery. 
and I had to become a Benedictine novice to do this thing. And uh, they don't. Whenever there's a mass section, they don't actually like celebrate mass in the game. But they'll sing this Latin hymn, like they sing the Gloria during mass. And I have to follow the rule of Saint Benedict. You know, a video game version of it. I have to go to meals, and during the meal, there's an NPC that's literally reading from the Rule of St. Benedict. It is the Rule of St. Benedict he's reading from. And it's like, this is amazing! <laughs> it makes me so happy! <laughs> so, question. Uh, what is, yeah. So, what is the goal of the game? What's the thing your, your character is working towards here? Yes. So, there's a mean king who invaded my town and killed my parents. And okay. I'm trying to avenge that. But it takes wild lefts, turns, and stuff. Um, and there's going to be one more thing I wanted to talk about this game about either um, it was with the priest. Oh, man, I forget. I think about it some other time. But anyway, it's super fun. It's just delightfully historical. I have to yeah. learn how to read uh, because I'm a blacksmith's son. And like when you look at the page, when you're first learning how to read, all the letters are scrambled up and you have to guess what's said to increase your reading skill. It's just like, it's just like this. It's so detailed. That's sort of it's very lovingly made. Very historically hmm. said. Oh, yeah. So um, this priest of ill repute uh, who won't break the seal of confession. We get drunk the night before. He's hung over and has to say mass. He says, like, I can do the liturgy, but there's no way I can preach. He had told me about Jan Hus the night before. He's like, how about you say you visited Jan Hus and just preach the way he does? So it's like re- referencing real historical people and stuff. I yeah. failed the homily, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's just delightful. It just, very, it just brings see, joy to my really Catholic pick, gamer I, I, soul. I don't play video games anymore, really. But yeah. this is a game I kind of want to play. Yeah. There's a steep learning curve with the mechanics and stuff, but it teaches you stuff. And it's just it's just the setting. I love it. I love it so much. And that's why I wanted to share. How did you find out about this about, game? I was just scrolling, looking for a new game uh, on uh, my Xbox thing. And I found this one. I was like looking at it, looking at some of the reviews. I'm like, okay, this I'll give this a shot. Like I said, it's tough in the beginning, learning the mechanics, but... The historical setting is just so delightful. Hmm. So delightful. This makes me. Um, this makes me kind of want to try it out, possibly. Mm-hmm. But that would mean having to get a gaming system because I don't have a game yeah. computer. No, and that's probably maybe maybe my my buddy Father David will let me drive up to Courtney once in a while and play on his PlayStation with play the game on his PlayStation or something like that. I'm sure, you can get it on there, and then yeah. I could just do it that way or something. Because that actually mm-hmm. that sounds like I'm like you know what that is a game that would actually intrigue me. And I would find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Um, so I'm not doing. I'm not. I was going to do a transition. Nope. No transition. It's time for theological emergencies. Woo-woo. Hi guys, this is Peter Green from Northeast Ohio, and I have a question about how AI could impact writing homilies. So my father is a deacon, and he always complains about having to write homilies. I do not. And um, so he he always complains about it, and he talks about how long it takes. So could a priest or deacon or whoever use an AI, like, thing generator to write a homily for them, and then, like, the priest goes in and makes sure it's all good and stuff, and then, like, say that homily like is that is that canon is that okay do you think that it would be widely used or and do you think that the time that it would save would be worth it and so that's just my question <laughs> all right peter if that is your real name although i gotta say this is the first time like someone has reacted in the background like that and it was it's amazing uh, me laugh. <laughs> it was glorious throwing your deacon dad under the bus and from Northeast speaking. Ohio, I support so, like we, so we have to find a guy named Peter to figure out which who the deacon is, and then mm-hmm. you know obviously write as bishop about the insubordination of his deacons who who complain Absolutely. about doing the Lord's work. Obviously, mm-hmm. right? Well, shame. So, yep. uh, interesting question because like I think uh, my my gut answer is always like no, uh, you're <laughs> you're using the, the you're you're in league with the devil almost with using AI for this. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I will not be surprised if it gets used. Uh, mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> have you ever been to parishes, either as a priest or wherever, or as a layperson when you were, you know, a layperson? And you'd sit there and you'd, you'd sit there and like, that guy probably got that homily from the internet. My dad uh, just called me. He was out of town for a funeral. 
and he called me and said yeah it, it was a canned homily so yeah. it's it's a thing that happens like people either grab something from a homiletics book mm -hmm. or just rip a story from some sort of chicken soup for the soul this yeah. is a thing that's happened for a while yeah i um i was at a parish once with a young adult group when i was at our cathedral i won't say where or who or anything but the priest we were there for sunday mass and uh, the priest was preaching his homily and i he was like citing some like obscure actress tv actress i've never heard of Mm -hmm. And using it as a setting for a moral lesson from the gospel. And you're just like, this is 100% a can't homily because you're citing some cultural figure that you probably don't even know who it is. And we don't know who yeah. it is. And the fact that you're not even aware of that tells me that you're doing this. So, mm -hmm. so because of that, I mean, like, and, and there's a difference. Like, I have a quote unquote canned funeral homily in the sense of like, I have my points. I always, I, I tend to hit when I don't know the people, especially. I just don't, I just mm -hmm. try to hit them and say, this is this, this, this. And then, um, but I always like throw something about the person in there too, right? Because, sure. yeah. but um, uh, the point of a homily though is a prayerful, it's also the homily itself is the fruit of a process of a prayerful reflection on the scriptures or the prayers of the mass of the day. Um, and to apply it today, to make Christ present today. So it's something that's, so the whole, like, I would argue that even, like, I've heard, like, actually, to give an example of a something that would be similar to this, I have heard from reputable sources who have been uh, hired to write homilies for clerics at times of different ranks in the church. Huh. And uh, I think to myself, like, the papacy is a little different. Um, I do think that you actually need ghostwriters for a variety of reasons, but that the Pope will also put his own. He'll probably like say, here's this chunk of what I want to say and fill it out or something like that. It's a little different partially because it's a magisterial act. And so it requires a bit of consultation, right? But sure. uh, I've heard this, that, that people will hire others to write homilies for them. And I think that's, I think that's just an abomination to me personally, mm -hmm. just to be frank. Why? Because the whole part is to prayerfully like, how am I, how I'm bringing the people in touch with Christ who is manifested through the scriptures and how I'm going to try to connect these two things together. And only I, as the person preaching can know this. So I, like, I don't even keep any of my homilies. I throw them out all the time. I never, mm -hmm. if I write them out, I, I, I just always throw them out because I don't want uh, the opportunity to have to reuse them again. Um, so I, I will not be surprised if it is used. And I think there'll come a time when we'll actually be able to pretty easily recognize that's an AI homily. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think, but I do think it's wrong. I, I could, I will say this. I, I will put a little caveat. You could use AI as saying, hey, looking at the Sunday's readings, what are some key points that you think are worth highlighting to maybe get you started to get to, to find a point that you might want to preach on? That I could see as an aid, but to actually write it for you? No, no. Yeah. Um throw out a theory here okay and i think if, if homily if preparing a homily is taking too long <clears throat> or if preparing a homily takes too much energy out of you or if preparing mm -hmm. a homily um makes you nervous every every week which is something that i i struggled with a lot especially mm -hmm. at the beginning of my preaching mm -hmm. um i would just like sweat over each and every homily there's a i think that comes from understanding of the homily as your project right um even the phrase i have to come up with a homily Right. implies that most of the work is done by your own effort. And I think if we are more vulnerable in prayer and we go to prayer more openly and honestly on a more daily basis, I think preaching becomes easy. Um, it's a process. And like there is, don't get me wrong, there's a place for technique. There's a place for um, using your own analytical mind and, um, and study and all that's important. But at the end of the day, the homily is a part of the liturgy. Christ yeah. wants to speak to his people and he has, he has chosen you to do it. Yeah. And then sometimes there's this fear that um, Christ somehow will be against me in my ministry. Like if I'm not perfect or if I've right. sinned or then like he's going to punish me by making me bomb. That's not a healthy way to look at your and Christ's relationship and your relationship with regards to the liturgy. Christ wants to speak to his people and he has chosen you to do it. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's you're a deacon and it's whatever, the first Sunday of the month and the pastor said you can preach then, that's still an act of the spirit there. Um, if you're going up to the ambo on a Sunday, Christ wants to speak to his people. He wants to do it through you. 
And it's more about listening in prayer than it is coming up with a homily. Right. Um, I think the more we do that, the more preaching kind of flows from the heart and the less you need to work on it. Like there's right. a place to work on it. Like I'll pray over a homily, mm. uh, feel like I've got my points, go up there and preach. And like, okay, I want to tweak this and that for next um, next time I preach. Uh, and so that's that's normal because your humanity is a part of this process. But I think the over-reliance of like, I need to come up with a homily, I need to write a homily, I think that betrays um, us putting too much emphasis on our own part in the work. And really, we're, right. we're it's a more dynamic sort of thing where the Spirit's speaking to you. And um, every time you read scripture or every time you... you um, pray you you immediately try to turn it into homily juice right away yeah. <laughs> it's like no first let god speak to you yeah get that sorted out and then sometimes that is what god wants you to also bring to the people you know um but i was just encouraged that i think more and more um and i'm not an expert but more and more i think writing a homily is a active prayer more than it is than anything else mm, i think absolutely. that that brings a lot of freedom to it I, I I would argue too with this. It's, it's something where I think touch on with presbyteral exhortations here that perhaps yeah. your natural talents are not such that they make you a great homilist, right? But 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 uh, it, um, that doesn't matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. By virtue of your office, you've been given a charism of preaching, um, which means that in your weakness, Christ still works. So what happens, I think, and I think, yeah, this is definitely what we're going to get to with some stuff with presbyteral exhortations today, is that we have this entertainment type of culture almost where we, it's like, no, no, it needs to be done in a, in this way. It has to be done this well, et cetera, et cetera, without, um, without like on, our, on the part of the listener, the sense of an openness to hearing God mm-hmm. speak through this person, regardless of their natural capabilities as a public speaker. Because we know, yeah. like, I mean, you know, I mean, listen, first seminary is full of introverts who the idea of being, which is always, <laughs> right? Because it's like the idea of being in front of a crowd for most priests is actually terrifying. Very terrifying, right? For me, it's very natural. Like the bigger the crowd, the better I preach, I feel like, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's like, no, it's not about, it's not about the technical skill and again i'm not saying that that doesn't have a part of it because like augustine will talk about the importance of rhetoric and preaching for example so mm-hmm. it's not saying that these aren't don't have a place but it's about saying regard whether or not we use these natural things a charism of preaching is being exercised to which i have to be uh i should be submissively open to receiving something of christ that christ wants to speak to me through that because i'm sure you've had it happen as a preacher where um Someone comes up to you, you know, Father. This point that you said, in, or this point that you said at the homily, was like it, it, it really struck me. It's something I've I've needed to hear for a long time, and uh, you know, I'll see a confession next week or something like that. Yeah, and you're like, I didn't say any of that. <laughs> you know, you think to yourself, yeah, that's the openness there, and I think that's mm-hmm. the key. And so, and if it, it is the fruit of prayer, and also I think as you get used, to, if you pray, if you're when you're doing daily mass, especially, you get so used to the scriptures. <laughs> yeah. That which is a good thing. Like there's a naturalness. Mm-hmm. Like I can off like this weekend. I had no time to prep anything. I was hoping to have an hour before confessions, but because of the lateness, didn't have any yeah. of that. I had prayed a bit with the readings, but uh, kind of forgot to in my time of prayer that week a bit. And but I knew them well enough in my other mm-hmm. prayer. Like so that's the thing. The fruit of the prayer was yeah. still there because I prayed with them at other times. I'm like, okay, I'm going to preach on on this body flesh dynamic and and Paul and connect it to Christ uh, relieving our burdens. And, and I made yeah. it happen off the cuff, no problem. So the fruit yeah. was still there, prayer, and um, and you know, and that's a good thing. So I think we need to also be, just yeah, be easier on ourselves, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pray with the Lord, and um, and trust. Really do trust. Uh, and and at the same time, it's like, and if you're really worried, like on that nap on on your, you know, then have those people around you who you trust to give you honest feedback and to mediate yeah. that stuff too, right? So you know. I think being being if you're a good rhetorician, if you're a good speaker, that's that's a blessing and a gift. But I think there's too much emphasis on that. Yeah. Because I have heard people who priests who preach and everyone says, Oh, he's a great homilist. And I listen, like, no, he's not. Yeah. He's not preaching at all. He's a really good and entertaining speaker. Yes. But he hasn't preached. 
he has that one sentence of that was preaching yeah um but because there's an enthusiasm they they have yeah. good pacing they know how to raise yeah. their voice at the right time and get you emotionally charged you mm-hmm. think that that's good preaching it's like no they've given you an emotional experience right uh, now when you can use that in in um for the sake of the word you know, that's great yeah but i've heard people who are great preachers but not good rhetoricians yeah. or like like the driest homily but if you listen to it you're like oh that all that came from prayer oh i can that's that's speaking to me like if yeah. you listen you know so I would, um i would argue one of the greatest greatest homilies of the 20th century is pope benedict yeah it's dry as heck in terms of delivery <laughs> and just reads his page. much easier to read his homilies than his yeah. to listen to them <laughs> but yeah the heart because he's prayed he's a man of prayer right mm. yeah 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 absolutely cool um but yeah don't don't use ai if you're using ai you need to you need to check yourself you need to go on retreat or something Ooh, yeah gross all right which one do you want to do dirty all right oh it's almost sunday night it's saturday night so it's almost sunday i need to know is sunday the beginning of the week or the end of the week i've only got like an hour left please hurry now I feel bad because this 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 person sounds like he's in a dire emergency, and we're responding to this like a week later. Yeah, um, that's that's our bad. That's yeah. our bad. But uh, the big question is: Is Sunday the beginning of the week or the end of the week? I think there might be multiple answers to this. I think there's two answers to this. Yeah, I think the first one is it's not the end of the week. It is the beginning of the week. The uh, liturgical calendar: um, you start the week on Sunday. So Saturday, uh, like for this past week, um, Saturday uh, morning was the 13th week of ordinary time. Once you cross into Sunday, it was the 14th week of ordinary time. It's the beginning of the week. I'll also say I think there's an aspect of Sunday being um, beyond the beginning or end of the week. It's an entering into um, the timelessness of the eighth day and new creation. Uh, where you're taken up into God's rest, which is outside of time. It's a little dip into eternity as well. Um, so it's it's this kind of penultimate, not penultimate. I just like the word penultimate. It's this ultimate time. and uh, But it's as far as the week goes, liturgically speaking, is the beginning. Um, it often feels like the end because of our the way our society is structured. You know, yeah. it's your last day off. We all get very anxious Sunday night. I don't yeah. because it's just another work day for me. So, yeah. haha. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I would say. It's the beginning of the week. And I think there's also a sense where it is entering into a kind of timelessness of God's rest. Yeah. I mean, I that? don't have, I don't have a lot to add to that because I would agree with that yeah. in general. I just, that I think part of that is just the weird experience that Saturday and Sunday are both just kind of the weekend. Right. So when you only have two days off, Sunday feels different. Right. Um, and yeah, like so, yeah. and because work is such a close identity to our life, Friday really becomes the end. Like so, Friday becomes the end of the week in so many ways, right? For a mm-hmm. lot of people, it, the end right. of the work week is the end of the week. And yeah. and um, I mean, there is something beautiful, I think, to the whole idea of a weekend. And it's there's still something about the 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 the, the how we are leisurely on on the weekends in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I think there is something. And I, I do like the fact that it's Saturday and Sunday, so you kind of get the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament New Day creation there as days of rest. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Sunday, and I think because Sunday has been, but because Sunday has been so ba- uh, become so banal in terms of like a cultural mm-hmm. important, culturally important day that is treated equally as a Saturday in so many ways. Um, they, they, it, it's hard to know where, yeah, where do we, it is like, I think the emergency in the question is actually, I think there's something profound to it, even in, yeah. in all the jokiness of this lack of experience of Sunday in its uniqueness. And so it's hard to know where do we stand and we recognize this kind of, when does the week begin sense? Like we're, we're, we're unstable <laughs> in our relationship to time. And I mm-hmm. think that's a bad thing. And I blame all, I blame modernity for this, of course. Uh, but um, yeah, there's something to that. And so we're going to feel this unease towards it all still, yeah. I think. And I also think the, the, that, that feeling of dread Sunday nights, I think that's something to bring to prayer. Because um, there's a lot of reasons to dread Monday, especially if you have a difficult job or different things that are coming up. But in a healthy place, Every day is a new creation from God. Every day he's going to be with you. And there's no reason to fear the next day. 
So I think that's something we can bring to prayer as well. I'm, as I said, I'm not perfect at it. A lot of times I feel that kind of feeling at the end of my day off. And it's like, okay, right. I need to kind of get myself right with God again so that I can face each day with a spirit of joy. So right. there you go. And I think, yeah, okay, and I will add to that now. It, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, just this, I mean, because Sunday is really, I think there's two things. So like, okay, how can we recover this? I think one is make Sunday Sunday again. Make Jesus, like, like again, for me, that, that experience that Sunday, I mean, again, my, my state of life makes things a bit different. Although it also told me like maybe Sunday should be a little bit chiller, even as a priest. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Uh, where it's like, it, it, there, I mean, I don't do much office work on Sundays on purpose for this reason. Uh, so I yeah. can avoid these things, but, um, um, but I do think that we need to actually make like intentional efforts to choose Sunday as the, the, the culmination like it's the center point. Actually, I think in some ways, it's actually, that's the better way to look at it. It's not the beginning or the mm-hmm. end. It's the center. There you go. Because it's what it's what the rest of the week orients towards and flows from. Mm-hmm. Right? There you All go. All of our work orients towards Sunday and its worship. And then so this dread towards Monday flows out of that and that I'm not going to dread it because the Lord's with me. And I'm grateful for the rest. And I look forward to bringing the Lord to my work, my family, et cetera, and then bringing all those things to the Lord on Sunday, right? So mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. rhythm we should be probably wanting to enter into more. And so it's not so much flat. Like, I think that's the thing. Yeah. I, like, that's like, okay, beginning or end, I'm not actually sure because I think that that leads to like a flatness of time, which is, again, a big problem. Yeah. Making it the center gives it that vertical element because it's, it's like, wait, Sunday is the, the center? That's such a weird way to think mm-hmm. of the rhythm of it all. But I think that's at the heart of it. I like that. Cool. All right. Time for some presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Quite. So before I go into it, I, I think I was thinking about this during the podcast. We need to do at some point, maybe after World Youth Day, we need to do another. Um, um, oh my gosh! Now I've just forgot the name of the segment that we did. Um, this is about books. The index. The index. There you go. We need to do another index one sometime. I'm, I'm just, down just for to, it. Just to bring back an oldie and a goodie, you know. It is a great, you know, great take, segment. Dust off the the cobwebs off that bumper, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and to find something I, and do an index though, but something that would actually be fun, maybe not so much index worthy. But we should do one that's index worthy and one that's non-index worthy at some point. I like this plan. We'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We have to remember this. So this is the big thing. Okay. All right. I I don't know where I'm going to go with this today. Um, just some things I've seen online in general and stuff that I want to kind of reflect on and enter into conversation with with Father Anthony, um, because oh, I think at the heart of it we place we place too much emphasis on the work of human beings. Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> where, are we, where are we going with this one? <laughs> I immediately well, agree. <laughs> but of course, God. God is the one who does the work, right? That the idea of sacramentality is that in, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our limit, limits and everything, God manifests his life and his power. And I think that like even some of these topics that we've been addressing in, in, in uh, theological emergencies here, I think actually point to this question of our, this emphasis. Again, so it's not, it, it's, there's a truth here. Like we matter, our work matters, our cooperation with God's grace, Matt, all this stuff matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But we had this hyper focus on like the kind of horizontal plane of things. Mm. Uh, we forget the inbreaking of God's life and power in the life of the church, in our own lives, et cetera. And so part of this, I could say, I think already is that we've lost eschatology in general. And I think this is very, very bad, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not going to go there. Um, I want to talk like, so I saw a couple things on Twitter this week, for example, that was complaining about a priest of some sort. Do, and I don't want to, it's not, but this is not a complaining. It's not a justification of priests here, by the way. It's actually, I think this is much, just meant to be, because I saw actually parents reply to this, like, oh, it's like parents, you know, that we're not an, a priest might a priest might feel not enough because we didn't meet this per, per, the person's wants and needs in a moment, um, and that parents feel the exact same thing all the mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a unit. It's more of it. Just again, we know our life. This is what we can speak to. <laughs> um, 
and I, even an experience of my my own in my parish where got a, a, an email complaint about something really like honest i i think i mean for them it was big i understand this but to me it was quite small hmm. and and the expectations quite large of of because a lot of frustration comes from unfulfilled expectations right yeah mm-hmm. um well i was expecting that this would happen at mass and that didn't and i'm like well we haven't done that forever yeah and you've been to Saturday Night Mass or something like this, but okay, I understand you're hurt, or but not much I can do, right? Like so, like because like, and why do we do like why do I have certain rules around the parish? Because the excess amount of time it takes from the office is not worth it, mm-hmm. right? Because people battle for all sorts of things in the parish for particular days and times. Um, like so, for example, I think like mass intentions, like people want particular days and times all the time, and they only have one mass a day. Yeah, so. And like, so people want certain masses at certain times. So I'm like, we have to try to limit that because it sucks too much time from the office to do the work it needs to do all the time. And in the end, the important thing is to have a mass set for someone, not about what happens around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've just placed, so like the thought, the first thought that's come to me on all this is, is we complain a lot. Uh, yeah. And I would, and I think so too fun. much. Oh, and why do we complain? So, why do we complain? Now, I, I do. What, I want to try. And, I want to. I'm trying to work on not monologuing. So, <laughs> I'm going to propose that as a question. Why do we complain so much? Where do you think? Like, where do you think it? It's. Uh, why do you think it seems to be heightened today? Oh, okay. Several reasons. Um, whew, uh, one, we complain a lot because um, we live in a world where we are inundated with information about injustices. And normally, I think the ways our brains are made is that when we see an injustice, we are meant to become angry about that and use that anger to heal that injustice. Uh, But now we're left with all these injustices that we cannot fix through our own power uh, because either they're too big or not in our sphere of influence or whatever. And so that builds up into a, a rage that has nowhere to go. And so we kind of in a impotent way, just complain about it because it's a way to sort of try to make something right. It, it's it's like this trying to make something right, but it, it doesn't work. And then that does two things. One, giving vent to our anger is enjoyable, but it's also empty. And so we do it more. So it becomes like this drug, unfulfilling sort of drug. I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is that um, a lot of times we complain about uh, things to avoid whatever's going on in our own lives, um, to project outward all of our problems instead of realizing that most of our problems, most of my problems come from my own heart, not from other people. Uh, in fact, um, really, like this is this in, in the saints, um, nothing outside them can hurt them uh, because of Christ within them. Now, I'm very far from that. Most people are very far from that, right? So there's degrees of this, of course. So I think it's a lot of times it's an avoiding um your own heart uh, or uh, being unable to fix things in the world both of which i think stem from misused anger okay yeah i I would agree with all that i i think i mean i would even go just simpler saying i think the myriad forms of communication Mm -hmm. again we're we're mimetic we're imitative creatures by nature Mm -hmm. monkey see monkey do Mm -hmm. oh you're complaining well i should complain they get we create social norms around this idea of complaining and so which feeds into everything you're kind of talking about. Yeah. And I all, and frankly, I think we just don't suffer enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I like seriously. this take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm serious because um, I want to think of, an, of a suggestion that deals with neither of the situations I know we're both aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, you know, oh, okay. Actually using our earlier example, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, um, being maybe you're living in a country where the church is under persecution mm-hmm. and the idea of no one would complain about the homily a because the priest is risking his life to be there yeah um, and you're just grateful he's there and 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 frankly the homily will be coming from such a place of prayer at that moment yeah <laughs> to be risking that right mm-hmm. um, you're just not going to complain yeah you're just grateful because 
you There's know, priests. you might, your, you your, your life, it could be at risk even just being here. Yeah. And you're just grateful to have mass. Mm-hmm. Now that's an extreme example. Sure. And, and when I say we don't suffer enough, I just mean this, that we have a very comforting life. And so we, we give excessive weight in terms of injustices mm-hmm. to the things that, okay, could it be done better? Yep. Possibly. But that, but we, we we give that a moral weight that I think is excessive to the problem. Like, we like you know, it's like treating venial sin like it's mortal sin, for example, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or it's like, oh, you know, why is the office only open, like, from you know, for those office hours? Why isn't it open on the weekends? Yeah. And they like to complain about this or something like that. I'm like, well, we would open it on the weekends if we had more money or something like that, yeah, but yeah. we can't. Like, And um, it's like, well, we could do it better. But this is the best we can do right now. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I, again, I think parents have very similar senses of like, you, you give your, you give what you can and you're happy and you recognize that you can't give everything to your child. Mm. I think, or at least that's a healthy realization in families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that you're okay, you learn to be okay with that. But that we, they're on the, on the flip side, I think, and I think it's not just like laity towards priests or offices or kids towards families. I think yeah. it's also priests maybe towards bishops. Yeah. Their own bishops sometimes, or towards um, other priests, the larger th- issues in the church, or mm-hmm. politicians, or this, or this, or this. Like I try to always read things with a flavor of charity because, again, as someone in leadership, I recognize my inability to do everything. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I think a good leader will try to put people in place to make up for the things you can't do, in, in so far as you can. But like other, like I remember, not not. But it's like, it's just an experience we all know. We're almost tired of it. But it's, you know, I remember during the pandemic, like, did I agree with every policy decision our government made? Heck no. I, I thought some of them were even ill-reasoned. Um, but I felt they were trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. And I know what it's like to be in leadership and try to make hard decisions like this. And you and you can't think of all the factors. And, but this is the thing. We, we like, we're just like, so at the heart of that, and I think it gets closer to your point, there's like this hyper-unconscious narcissism. Mm-hmm. Why are you not thinking about my own particular needs of what I want and what I'm looking for in my parish or in, in a family or whatever? And I, and this is dangerous, I think. Yeah. Uh, It's, um, we, we almost always think that our expectations are reasonable. Um, and I'm gonna throw myself under the bus with this. Uh, I remember, uh, going from one parish to another parish is one move. And at the one parish, sacristy everything was already all, always set up for me before mass um and everyone knew what to do they go to n- another parish where there was not a culture of that and i would walk into the sacristy and just get angry that i had to set up for mass um meanwhile it's like that's first of all priesting up for mass on paper not an unreasonable expectation right also they had no idea of my expectations nor could they even fulfill them if they knew about them because they need to be trained and taught how to do those things right but at, at the you know, first few weeks, all I was was angry, <laughs> just very angry going to every single mass because my expectations, which I thought were reasonable, weren't being met when really, one, they weren't reasonable. Um, two, they could not be met. Um, and, and, and three, it's okay for me to suffer a little bit of something so small, right? Um, so we do that all the time where we think that our expectations, whether or not they're even vocalized, and this is, this is what leads to a lot of... Uh, office drama and uh, in the parish and elsewhere where it's just un Mm -hmm. uh, vocalized expectations that we expect them to be met all the time um right yeah and then it's hard because and at the same time like so for those in leadership or the or for parents or whatever you want to do your best to hear expectations but also it becomes impossible to even hear them all yeah um and I don't think we should expect that a parish should meet every personal expectation. Yeah. And so it, I think there needs to like, so yeah, again, don't want to make it about parishes, but you know, again, we know our experience. Um, uh, so I think this is all, and I think this is all ties into then like, so then this kind of culture of, of um, critiquing and complaining, et cetera, I think then, which I think is honestly fed and I tweeted about this today because I'm actually, I don't know, I have so much more peace now in my life. We also have a hyper fixation on the bigger stuff in the world, mm-hmm. in the church, et cetera. And we give so much energy to that. And we can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, folks. 
99.9% of you, unless maybe you're a cardinal in Rome or something like that, uh, probably can't do anything about what's going on in Rome. Yep. And here's the good news, folks. Whatever comes out from dicasteries or dioceses or whatever, conference of bishops or groups of priests or lay people Mm -hmm. or whatever, I'm going to give you a secret, so I'm just going to whisper it for a second. Okay, okay. What's the secret? I'm listening. They don't affect anything in your life, generally speaking. (laughs) Yeah, I think for most people, that's true. Uh, I think it becomes a little bit less true for some of our um, traditional Latin mass friends. Um, Right. You know, I I, I agree with you. I'm not saying does that. Okay, so let's use that as an example then, Mm -hmm. because it's it's something we know. I I agree with you. There is something where something happened in Rome that actually does affect my day-to-day life. Yeah. So what do I do about it, right, is the next question. Well, you can't. You're not going to be able to do anything in Rome about it, mm-hmm. right? But you can do something locally about it. So you try to have a good relationship with the bishop. Uh, try to show uh, that they got. I have a I have a friend who uh, lives on the East Coast. He was telling me about like their their relationship with their bishop in the East Coast there with their parish and how they've been so supportive. Like they're one of the best. Their Latin Mass community is actually one of the best supporters of the diocesan appeal, mm-hmm. for example. Right? Not not that, but he's just saying that becomes a sample of our. We we, sh- we want to show obedience to the bishop. We're not here against him. We're here with him and for him. Mm-hmm. And I think that so there's something you can do, right? That's where you put your energy and your focus of building up those local relationships. Um, because because then it maybe maybe it'll affect how that bishop communicates something to Rome about these things and maybe change minds, right? Two things. Two things about that. One, you can do all those things, and nothing may happen. So that's right. one thing. That's one thing. Um, also, Father Harrison, well, you know, you and I, we're just simple parish priests, um, you know, but why can't we just speak up? Why can't we speak truth to power, Father Harrison? Why can't we get up on the pulpit and talk about how Bishop A or Pope B or C or D, depending on your ecclesiology, like, why can't we, why can't we just go just up there the truth. and speak the truth and get people riled up? Like, why isn't that helpful? Because after all, after all, okay, now I'm going to be, I'm going to take the um, serious side of this. You know, people want to know that their concerns are heard and these are real concerns yes. that people have. Maybe they can't do anything yes. about it, but you know, why can't we be the ones to, to do that on Sundays? Wouldn't that help? No, because what good is it going to do? Well, okay. I'll tell you what bad it's going to do. I, I, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. That, 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 that's my, that's my yeah, yeah, point. Yeah. So you know, I, I sometimes reference things going on in the wider church in a kind of vague way and what i try to do is that so the people who know about it know about it and the people who don't know about it can still apply it to something else right um but the reason why i don't and i'm angry about so many things um that go around the church and this is actually a big struggle in my spiritual life it's a big struggle in my spiritual life i bring it it's been a big part of my holy hours the last week and will continue to be so okay so i get it i really do Mm-hmm. I know I come off as nonchalant a lot of times on the podcast, but uh, uh, my prayer is filled with rage. Okay. Um, the reason why I don't give vent to that rage on the Ambo is because I think it's more damaging to souls if I were to do that. Um, because ultimately, even if I were to you know speak up and tweet ferociously and, and be a champion of the people, a few things would happen. One, uh, doing that's actually not courageous. People think it's courageous. It's actually not. Um, you're just playing to a different fan base. And you can get all kinds of adulation and media attention for being canceled. Um, that's the that's the great um, uh, paradox. Actually, by, be, by being canceled, you actually are not canceled. You're given a bigger platform uh, in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, two, um, uh, so I could grow you know rich with pride in doing that sort of thing because you make yourself the hero of the people. Um, and you're not, mm-hmm. you're just a priest. You're there to, to bring them to Christ and bring Christ to them. You know, you're an intermediary, you're a bridge, you're not the Statue of Liberty. Um, and, and thirdly, it just fosters that impotent anger um, that helps people to ignore what's actually going on in their lives. So mm-hmm. what we can do is have the Lord to heal our own souls and what's going on. Like, don't get right. me wrong. Like if this, if, if you read this stuff and it gets you angry, that's a real thing you have to deal with, right? That's right. a real pain. It really is. Yep. It's a real Absolutely. suffering. I don't want Absolutely. in any way um, diminish that kind of suffering because it's very real. But sometimes we are doing it to ourselves. Yes. And sometimes we are using that pain to avoid 
what's going on in our own hearts a lot of times. Right. Yeah. And so yep. for me, if I am a caring and loving priest, um, how do I shepherd the flock um, in a way that actually leads them to streams and, and fields with lots yeah. of yummy grass. Um, it's it's not going to be by giving all the the, the sheep um, pitchforks and uh, torches because yeah. one, they can't carry them because they're sheep. It'd be very difficult and they're not very tactically. Uh, the, the point of this extended metaphor is that it wouldn't help. I agree with you. Right. It would not help. Um, no, it wouldn't. I think that, but there are ways to, for things to help. Like, yeah. So, um, like, you know, I have a friend who, when he went, uh, um, he was at a parish one day and he stopped going to that parish because the priest was essentially like kept on preaching against their local bishop. Yeah. And I'm like, he goes, that's not helpful. He goes, I don't necessarily agree with all my bishop, but like we promised those priests promised respect and obedience. So I don't want my children to learn Yeah, that, you know? And I thought, I thought that was actually a beautiful thing. Like that's actually, that was, that was the right, I think response to recognize that something's off there right because yeah what does this do it says oh it's okay to actually be disrespectful to bishops and it also shows us again we've actually lost eschatology we forgot the divine inbreaking into and god's actually action in history and that the holy spirit really does guide us towards uh towards christ and that also the church has always been through a lot worse mm-hmm. um all these things we need to remember these things constantly but that in the pre like so and there are i think there like here's the thing there are times to stand up, mm-hmm. but that is when you've exhausted every option that you think like, like, so like, let's say, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, no, I'm not going to go into examples of this, but I think it's just like, there are times like maybe like, I don't know. I think about like, like during, uh, the com- communism in Russia, for example, right. Where certain priests or sorry, in Poland, I should say, uh, where certain priests, came to a point where they realized they had to say something from the pulpit. Yeah. Right. Well, they probably tried everything behind the scenes first, talking with the local authorities, all this stuff about some of the injustices that they were encountering. You know, there, there comes a point where you have to, you, you become, but it's, it's, it is, it is, it, but that's where the, actually the courage comes in. Why? Because it actually will cost you. Right. And you know, it. that's the thing, you know, it's going to cost you something and you have to say, am I willing to spend that cost? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and there are lines in the sand sometimes, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the thing is the lines in the sands, they're not going to like, um, what's going to go happening in Rome. You know, we all know this church documents. How often do they actually impact anything? <sighs> okay. But you know what? You know, yeah, like, just yeah. as an example, but it's just like, with why, why, like what's the, what's the, but put that energy locally like yes like you said yes. like like and recognize so this gets to my eschatology point recognize that your own holiness actually has a value to the church and actually has an impact because the church is the body of christ mm-hmm. and i have a value and role to play and so like or instead of complaining to say hey you know here's my expectations uh i recognize that that didn't happen uh i was hurt by it honestly but i know there was no ill intent here how can, you know, is, I want you to be aware of this for the future, you know, and to be like, and maybe, you know, or just to be like, Hey, do what they're doing? Like, I get my whole point is this, like, guess what? Most people, 99% of people mm-hmm. are just trying to do their best. <sighs> I think at least in terms of like parents, sure. Priests, et cetera. Yeah. Deacons, uh, uh, let me just push know, back a little bit. Or maybe not 99%, but you know, like uh, I would say majority are, are trying to give their best. I'm and gonna take a different approach. To... Okay, that's okay. Um, okay. Uh, part of what makes this difficult is that um, you and I promise respect and obedience to our superiors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a matter that affects our very souls, right? Mm-hmm. There is, there is, I think, something to that with the lady as well, but it's it's different. And I, I don't have the my seminary notes on hand to like um, describe that clearly. Uh, but I'm kind of <laughs> all right. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one report me. Um, I'm kind of on the opinion, in a vague, in a general sense, that like, yeah, most priests. Uh, okay, sorry. A lot of priests are mediocre, and some right. are very bad. And yeah. you know what? I I don't have a lot of faith in the personal integrity of a lot of the hierarchy. I don't. Right. right. Um. Yeah. And I. 
I do. But that's think, always been the case with the church. Right. right. Let me get to sorry. it. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I do think like those poorly written documents damage the church. I think they do. You know, well, whether or not you're like, if you're a, a regular Catholic going to the pews, there's a good chance it doesn't affect your life. I think it does affect the church overall. Um, and I think, and this is kind of the joy of, of playing this medieval game, is that knowing that, like, they make jokes about priests all the time because they're true. Um, there was an awareness that, like, yeah, you can't expect much from them, but they're still priests, and we need Mass, and we need Jesus, right? right? Yeah. And I think we've lost this kind of Catholic mentality to, with a a detached skepticism of the clergy and, and priests in a way. I, I won't go too far with this um, because... Maybe maybe I, I would correct it a bit. Yeah. A natural comfort of the fact that we're going to get, just as we will with parents, Yeah, so we will with priests, we're going to get the whole spectrum of quality. Yeah. And that there's a and that the medieval church kind of just knew that and accepted that because that was reality. Yeah, yeah. I and think that's what said, I say. Yeah. And I said, said here nowadays we tend and it's again it's the same thing with parents, right? We ha- we hold these high standards. Why? Because we see we see the standard. Well, why aren't you like this priest? Why, mom and dad? Why aren't you like these parents? Why aren't you like yeah. this? There's a there's a comparativeness now because everything's so accessible information mm-hmm. wise that we think well their reality has to be our reality and it's clearly since it's not. Uh, we're in the wrong, they're in the right, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, no, this is just the reality we have. This is what we have. This is what God's given us. Like, if there's a phrase I repeat on this podcast, I want people to remember it's this, run towards reality. Mm-hmm. The medieval church ran towards reality. I think this is one of its great virtues. No yeah. church, no era is perfect. No. There's no golden age of the church, folks. Um, and you think things are, you know, if you think things are bad in Rome, like you should read about the 18th century in Germany. And like, you th- you think the, the German sin stuff is bad, like read about 18th century Germany. It was worse. It was worse. Um, but the Germans, man, the Germans. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there was a, there was an acceptance that, okay, well, this is the priest who God gave us. And it was like this, almost like this, this beautiful cultural dependence on ex opere operato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know he's got a concubine. Yep. I know he's. I know he's a drunkard. Yeah. And um, and do it. There might be a good chance he goes to hell. Yeah. <laughs> but but <laughs> the mass is still the mass, yeah. and his homilies feed me because Christ, or his sermons feed me because Christ speaks through him. Yeah. I think. And so like this is the thing we we we've almost inverted it. Yes. We've inverted it now, right? And this is the problem. And this is the part. This is why we're so horizontal. And this is like this gets to the larger point of. Like, so it's why I think we give this excessive weight to the larger stuff and this excessive expectation on the smaller stuff is because when you lose the eschatological, when you lose the, the divine presence, everything is horizontalized. Like, like essentially God, God has, God has kind of collapsed into the world. Mm -hmm. And so we've placed the weight of perfection on things that cannot be perfect Mm -hmm. and we expect them to be. And this is going to destroy us as a civilization. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and it's not good. Like, because we want, we want, we want, uh, we want justice in a way that is, is actually more revengeful than justice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we do. Um, uh, a few things. One, there's some sort of construction outside of my window. Yeah, um, so sorry about that. Um, uh, and two, I think, okay, a few things. Um, one is, maybe this is a way to kind of summarize some of what we've been saying is that mm-hmm. no one can steal eternal life from you except yourself. No priests, no bishop, yeah. no documents. Even if you were yeah. devoid of priests, no one can steal eternal life from yourself except for you. Right. And there's that. The other thing is, and this is an idea I'm popping around in my head. Don't, don't quote me on this, but like, I think with Vatican II, um, with its writings on the bishops and seeing the bishop as as priest, um, as ex- and then the implications for priesthood, and a lot of writings that come after it, I think they a lot of times, you know, priest as as shepherd, priest as father, priest as leader, priest as uh, fighter for social mm-hmm. justice, um, priest as administrator, priest as this, it's painted an impossible picture for priests. And it's broadened it out so much so that one saying like all these jobs, which are good and helpful and needed in the church, apply to the priest, but also sainthood needs to apply to every priest. And don't get me wrong, like there is a universal call to sainthood 
it's going to look particular in the priest. Um, but, but sometimes I'm afraid that because we've broadened the role of priesthood so much that that's part of the reason why no priest is enough in a sense. Well, and add to this, I mean, I, I was saying this to some friends a few months ago, how just as like that, the, the kind of war generation priests who kind of came out of the war, became priests who mm -hmm. built these great churches and all mm -hmm. this stuff after the war Yeah, that that was like, and they, these guys are like really for a lot of dioceses, they were like, the cornerstones for they're so heroes. many dioceses. They're, they're all they're heroes. They were, and, there's stuff built yeah, exactly. named after them. Mm -hmm. And they were good men. And they, that's the other thing. They were good men. Like a lot, a lot of these yeah. guys were good men, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of these guys were good men. Um, I said, the same is going to be for us in terms of administration. <laughs> um, <laughs> why? Well, no, because it's like just the with what the world requires of churches for proper administration of goods and accountability is way higher than the pastor having the money box and he can just deal with it with whatever, however he wants. He doesn't really have to keep account of things, right? Yeah. Administration, it's, and I think part of this is about, again, this gets to bigger, a whole other thing that yeah. I've talked about before. Administration need not necessarily mean the bricks and mortar stuff. Yeah. I think administration is more towards charism personally mm -hmm. as, as, and that you need the other stuff. You can actually put qualified people in place to deal with the day to day and sure. make even decisions on that regard. Right. So I think, but that's, that is there, there's just a lot more requirements of what is to be expected of us on safe environment, on, on finances, on, on the building on, and, 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 and it, this, and okay. So I, I try not to make this a priest thing, but, um, Again, you know, our experience. So I apologize over and over again because I just know, again, I know families go through something similar. It's just like, you know, I could say this openly that a lot of people come, oh, Father, this is wrong with the building or that. I'm like, I don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. We don't even have a maintenance person right now. Like, I, I get, I'm like, Whoo. but there's this expectation that I should know all things and do all things and be, and I'm like, I don't think that's healthy either. So I think like speaking to what your thing is like we have this such a broad idea of priesthood that we've almost assumed all tasks and knowledge to the priest that I do not think is healthy um, and does not allow for good co-responsibility for a parish. And at the same time, like and, and at the on the more kind of broader level, we have I think we have these high expectations of everybody in office and we've lost because we've actually lost the sense that we, we buy into the idea of freedom, that you can be what you want, you can do what you want, when you want, how you want. And so we expect that there can be no limits to what can be expected of people and that everyone should live up to the ideal. Yeah. And the medieval church had no ideal. They had, well, they had the ideal of the saint, but that was something concrete. And your life would actually just manifest itself. Like, I think one of the great stories, I think and the saint like was rarely Anders, the priest. Yeah, but St. Anders Wirt or whatever his name is from, from Holland during like the Orange Revolution, drunkard, a gambler, all this, uh, had a concubine, like stopped, stopped practicing his priesthood for a while essentially, mm -hmm. um, was captured by some of the revolutionaries with a bunch of other priests and they were going to try to torture him first to get him to convert because they figured he'd be easy mm -hmm. and that everyone else would fall in line. And he said, well, I might have been a drunkard. I might have, I might have been um, an adulterer, a gambler, all these things. But I would never deny Christ in his church. And he was martyred and he's the saint of the church now. Like so even, <laughs> the, media, even the mediocre amazing. priest. Yeah. Even the mediocre priest that can be a saint. Like this mm -hmm. is the good news there too, is that mm -hmm. but that we need to accept this more. We need to accept and like and the, the priests at the same time need to expect, accept this of the people. Because I think we we on yes. the flip side yes, of the parish we can also fall to this idea. Like, mm -hmm. why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they being the perfect parishioner? Yes. Why doesn't every and, family have 200 kids and says hi yeah. to me and smiles at me all the time? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's yeah. that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So there's this it, it, there's a we just like there's something. And I think this is something that the, the church, if we can focus our energies more locally in this regard, I think could actually be quite revolutionary for society where we learn to live this more. But we that means we have to also structure our parishes in such a way that this becomes more feasible, which means we need to be closer to each other. There's all this stuff around yeah. it. But then we actually start to accept the reality. Like, which kid can run away from their parents because they don't like their parents? They don't. They mm -hmm. can't. And same, we shouldn't do that with our parish. We say, this is my parish. This is where I'm going to be. This is, uh, you know, all this stuff to say, yeah. I need to accept reality. I need yeah. to accept reality. Uh, I need to stop abstracting away. And I need to, and I think if we can start doing this, we'll complain less because we're going to suffer more when you accept reality. And we'll stop worrying about the big stuff sometimes. Because we'll realize that where my where I am, that's where I become a saint. Yeah. Okay. Um, few things. Um, and I know we're going long. Um, yeah. Yeah. With regard to your last point, we we want to choose our crosses from a cross boutique, 
and pick the ones like we don't get me wrong don't get me wrong at the cross boutique there's, the cross there's one super set, value meal yeah yeah don't get me wrong a lot of them are very painful but yeah. if we pick them for ourselves they're not our crosses a lot yeah. of times our crosses are the ones i mean all the time the crosses are the ones that are right there in front of us that's the yeah. one two hey don't apologize for talking about the priesthood guess what every lay person listening to this is afflicted with the priesthood in some way they go to a parish they are stuck with their priests good this bad or ugly so it's it's this part of everyone every catholic experience is like and this is the great great virtue of the laity that they stay catholic even though they are inflicted by priests um yes. <laughs> inflicted <laughs> afflicted by priests okay so that's fine yes. don't apologize for that <laughs> there's okay. a bunch of other catholic podcasts they can listen to it's great this is um, true this is true yeah um and then uh, thirdly, it's this like don't get, there's this balance between yes, every priest should be a saint, yes, yeah. every bishop should be a saint, and but very few of them are going to be, and that's a weird and difficult tension to live in. Um, yeah. So I think I think I'm done. I think that's all my point. I think you got anything else to say? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there was not there was not a necessary central point there. There's just uh, I think yeah. there's just the connecting themes that were coming up in my life lately that I'm just like because like, I'll be honest, like for me, church news wise, I mean, I hear most stuff because friends text me about it, and mm-hmm. I say, yeah, okay, yep. I can't. I literally cannot do anything about it. I, I I cannot. If I was like if if I was put in positions where I could do something about it, I would. But I'm not, and it's like it's. I'm better off suited to focus my energies on my parishioners. Yeah. At the same time, right. I'll, I'll say this one quick anecdote about like, cause it's not just people who are very online the other yep. day, my, my, my sweet, sweet mother who I love very much, who is not a very online person. Like she's goes online, check pictures of her niece and family. And that's about it. Yep. Uh, but she was like, what's the deal with this Cardinal who wrote a book about kissing I was like, oh no, my poor sweet mother, you should not have to deal with this. Like she wasn't like she wasn't searching it out, but that brought like confusion and pain. Like this is obviously weird. Right. <laughs> like, yes, yes it is. Yeah. But just I, I, try to ignore Here's the thing. it. If, if this happened in the medieval <laughs> church, they'd be like, Oh oh yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, because yeah. In like, medieval church like, he's probably an expert. Like, Wait, <laughs> I can't read the title. I can't read the title. That's also true. They could not literally read. <laughs> like, it would be in Latin. Like, yeah, you know. And he might be our Pope one day, you know? Yeah, and it's just yeah, like, whatever. You know, yeah, it's just like, there's, yeah. this, there's, there's this, this, like, there was like, I think there was this lightness about the medieval church. Again, maybe we're reading too much of this as, as people just in the future. But maybe there was, life I think, is, my experience. Yeah, maybe when, like, day-to-day life is so hard. Exactly. I think yeah. that gets to your point. When day-to-day life is so hard. That's like, well, I mean, at least I get mass. That's nice, you know? Of course, yeah. this guy's a loser, but like, there's something healthy well, about I, that as do, long as we yeah. don't lose our own hope for sainthood for us. I others. do, I do think we actually, I think there is actually something to the fact that we don't suffer enough. And by this, I mean, like, not again, not that we go out and choose our crosses, but that the world has, has banalized life so much with giving us so much convenience yeah. that we actually expect convenience at all times. And I don't think that's human. Yeah, I think that's I don't right. Don't think that's human. But also, but that's a whole like, other I think there, thing. I think it's also good that I can um, uh, cross the street, say mass without being worried about getting stabbed with a sword, and then take a nap afterwards. Mm. Like, there's something as a yeah. blessing to that comfortability as well. well. No, no, again, I'm not saying it's all. It's yeah. not it's all bad. Yeah. But I, just, I think what has happened is because things have become easier to do and safer in many ways. Um, it has removed the idea that there is a cost to things. And when there's not a cost to things, then yeah. um, we tend to, we tend to complain more mm-hmm. because it's easy to do that. Yeah. See, complaining is easy. Suffering mm-hmm. is hard. And if we suffer more, maybe we'll complain less. Let's, let's end on that. I don't know. So Nick doesn't have to do any more work. I like that. That's a good ending yeah. line. Yeah. All right. <laughs> do your All thing. Right. Yep. I'm going to do my thing. Hey, thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me in like medieval, like Czechoslovakia or somewhere in the Holy Roman Empire doing medieval stuff on a video game. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. 
Um, contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Don't yell at me if I use Czechoslovakia wrong. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? We've gotten some good ones. Keep them coming. You guys got it. This, I, I believe in you. This is your charism as a lady to have emergencies that need to be answered by priests. Oh, no. Call 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. Seriously, no one's ever regretted turning in a theological emergency. No one has. Everyone thinks I it's a good I actually had idea. someone at the ordination asked me about theological emergency. I said, I'm like, I actually have to hit the right now, so call it in, please. Please call it in. <laughs> You won't regret it. God bless you all. Peace.